In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you and we praise you for your vulnerability, for making yourself vulnerable to us, and for loving us right where we're at, and affirming us in our true identity which allows us to come out from behind those walls and allows us to take off the masks and to be vulnerable with you little by little. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to come as we continue to reflect on the Song of Songs. May we be inspired. May we be healed. May we be comforted and consoled and blessed and filled with hope that there is more. There's more to our relationship with you. There's more to our relationship with ourselves and with the world, the church, our family, our community. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son and for the gift of the Spirit. We thank you for the spirit of, of adoption that you've poured out into our hearts, which allows us to cry out, Abba, Father. So let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's look at number 2712 in the Catechism on Contemplative Prayer. Contemplative prayer is the prayer of the child of God, of the forgiven sinner, who agrees to welcome the love by which he is loved, and who wants to respond to it by loving even more. You've heard me say that. We have to come into agreement with what God says to us. We have to come into agreement with who God says he is and who we are. And we have to respond in faith. So I think it really helps at the beginning of your prayer, every prayer, every time you go to pray, start with an act of faith. Fun little story. When I was first ordained, probably first couple of years of my priesthood, I was making my annual retreat. And we do an eight-day silent retreat. <coughs> so it was the last meditation of the last day. I go back into my room. I kneel down. Okay, I'm going to make my act of faith. Jesus, I believe in you. And clear as a bell, I heard, Jason, I believe in you. I was like, whoa, okay. <laughs> yeah, 
You got my attention, Lord. Wasn't expecting that. And I believe he wanted me to come into agreement with what he believed about me. Not only did he believe in me, but what does he believe about me? And he wanted me to come into agreement with that. I've been trying to do that more and more. Let's keep going here. But he knows that the love he is returning is poured out by the Spirit in his heart. So this is speaking of us, the child of God. But he, the child, the daughter of God, knows that the love she is returning is poured out by the Spirit in her heart. For everything is grace from God. Contemplative prayer is the poor and humble surrender to the loving will of the Father in even deeper union with his beloved Son. So more and more we surrender, we allow God to speak and to do what he wants to do, to move us, to lead us and guide us, to perform that surgery, <coughs> to heal us. We allow God to be God, in short. <laughs> we allow God to be God. Okay. So chapter 5. I think we should review real quickly again the the way that the Shulamite, the bride, spoke back on page 13 there in chapter 4. I've made up my mind until the darkness disappears and the dawn has fully come. In spite of shadows and fears, I will go to the mountain, to the mountaintop with you, the mountain of suffering love, and the hill of burning incense. Yes, I will be your bride. So a reference to Calvary, especially in light of what we just watched there with Father Boniface. It's not always easy. It's not always real pleasant. But that doesn't mean that it's bad or negative. Painful, yes, but not negative. I think sometimes we label certain emotions positive and negative, but I don't think that's very helpful. Emotions don't have a moral value so I think it's better to say that it's painful, but it's not negative. So if I'm sad, or if I'm angry, if I'm confused, if I'm exhausted, it's not a negative thing. 
It's not a negative thing. It's not a bad thing. It's not a bad emotion. Emotions aren't bad or good. They just are. And so part of going through them is learning to accept them. Growing, a part of growing is learning to accept yourself. And not being so harsh or judgmental of yourself. So let's listen to what the bridegroom king has to say in chapter 5. I've gathered from your heart my equal, my bride. I have gathered from my garden all my sacred spices, even my myrrh. So now we know the myrrh comes from his own wounds. And the word vulnerable, if you look at the Latin word that makes up our word vulnerable, it means wound. So if you're vulnerable, you're able to be wounded. That's what it literally means. If you're vulnerable, you're able to be wounded. And that's why Father Bionicus was saying, you just can't rip the bark off. <laughs> you just can't tear down the walls or break through the defenses, but rather let love, let God's love move them gently when, when we're ready. Because even those parts of us meant well, meant well. Someone might have a part, you know, that turns to a bottle of wine when they're really stressed out. Oh, I hate it when I turn to wine and drink too much when I'm stressed out. Okay, well, don't hate that part of you. <laughs> That's not doing any good. See what I'm saying? Don't hate that part of you that does the thing that you know in the end isn't so healthy or helpful or holy. But for whatever reason, that part of you only knows how to reach for a bottle of wine and have a few, probably too many glasses of wine in order to deal with some stress. So that part of you is doing the best it knows how. You may not want to endorse that fully, but at least understand where that part of you is coming from and the good intentions she has. As dysfunctional as it might be, or as unhelpful as it might be in the long run. So that's what we're getting at when we talk about being kind and gentle with ourselves. So to be compassionately curious, that's another grace you want to ask for. Being kind and gentle with yourself entails being compassionately curious. 
God, help me to be compassionately curious with myself. And the word compassion literally means to suffer with. So passion, when we talk about the passion translation, comes from the Latin pati, which means to suffer. So our word for patience, that's why when Paul was inspired to write, love is patient. In Latin, what he was saying was, yeah, love knows how to suffer. Love knows how to suffer. Amen? True love does know how to suffer. So to be compassionately curious with yourself means you're willing to engage a part of yourself that's suffering in some way. And instead of being, you know, that self-righteous part (laughs) that wants to condemn that other part of you and shame it, shame it into submission, which usually doesn't work, right? Oh, I'll never do that again. God, I'm so sorry. I'll never drink too much again. Probably will, but that's okay. I'll still love you. (laughs) Right? So instead of approaching it that way, approach it from a more compassionate, curious approach. Hey, um, why do you feel the need to do that? Like, what burdens are you carrying? When did you first do that? That must have been pretty lonely. I wonder if we could, together, I wonder if we could come up with a different way of dealing with that. Would you be open to that? So it's almost like you have to build trust with yourself. (laughs) These different parts that we have inside of us. But Jesus is willing to do that with us. And so as we slowly expose ourselves to the Lord and show him our wounds, He shows us his wounds. He meets us where we're at. He loves us where we're at. And we're healed. We're restored. We become integrated. I've tasted and enjoyed my wine within you. I've tasted with pleasure my pure milk, my honeycomb, which you yield to me. Yielding, allowing, giving permission, surrendering. I delight in gathering my sacred spice. All the fruits of my life I have gathered from within you, my paradise garden. Come, all my friends, feast upon my pride, all you revelers of my palace. Feast on her, my lovers. Drink and drink and drink again until you can take no more. Drink the wine of her love. Take all you desire, you priests. My life within her will become your feast. So now he's even going beyond an individual and even talking about his church, his bride, church. 
Verse 2, the Shulamite bride. After this, I let my devotion slumber, but my heart for him stayed awake. I had a dream. I dreamed of my beloved. He was coming to me in the darkness of night. The melody of the man I love awakened me. I heard his knock at my heart's door as he pleaded with me. So there's, there's more. <laughs> there's more. The funny thing about the illuminative stage, this is definitely now the illuminative stage. So sometimes that initial zeal, that initial, you know, excitement of our conversion, our first conversion, it wanes a little bit. But then we bounce back. You know, we continue to grow with the Lord. A life of virtue develops inside of us. Graces are flowing. And then we realize there's more. The Lord allows a new stage of growth and maturity. And things come to the light. That's why we call it the illuminative phase. Things come to the light that perhaps we haven't yet addressed. The bridegroom king, arise my love, open your heart, my darling, deeper still to me. Will you receive me this dark night? There's no one else but you, my friend, my equal. I need you this night to arise and come be with me. You are my pure, loyal dove, a perfect partner for me, my flawless one. Will you arise? For my heaviness and tears are more than I can bear. I've spent myself for you throughout the dark night. And she responds, I have already laid aside my own garments for you. How could I take them up again since I've yielded my righteousness to yours? You've cleansed my life and taken me so far. Isn't that enough? My beloved reached into me to unlock my heart. The core of my very being trembled at his touch. How my soul melted when he spoke to me. My spirit arose to open for more of his touch. There it is. More. As I surrendered to him, I began to sense his fragrance. The fragrance of his suffering love. That he was willing to meet me in my own suffering. That was me talking. <laughs> It was the sense of myrrh flowing all through me. Whoa. I opened my soul to my beloved, but suddenly he was gone. And my heart was torn out and longing for him. I sought his presence, his fragrance, but could not find him anywhere. I called out for him, yet he did not answer me. I will arise and search for him until I find him. 
As I walked throughout the city in search of him, the overseers stopped me as they made their rounds. They beat me and bruised me until I could take no more. They wounded me deeply and removed my covering from me. Nevertheless, make me this promise, you brides-to-be. If you find my beloved one, please tell him I endured all travails for him. I've been pierced through by love, and I will not be turned aside. The onlookers, these Jerusalem maidens, comment, What love is this? How could you continue to care so deeply for him? Isn't there another who could steal away your heart? We see now your beauty, more beautiful than all the others. What makes your beloved better than any other? What is it about him that makes you ask us to promise you this? He alone is my beloved. He shines in dazzling splendor, yet is still so approachable, without equal, as he stands above all others, outstanding among ten thousand. The way he leads me is divine. His leadership so pure and dignified as he wears his crown of gold. Upon this crown are letters of black written on a background of glory. He sees everything with pure understanding. It's a great line right there. He sees everything with pure understanding. So we may not understand why we do the things we do sometimes, but God does. God knows why we have our struggles. God knows why. So that's a good act of faith to make. Lord, I believe that you are understanding. Lord, I believe that you know why I do the things I do that I don't really want to do. And you know why I can't do the good things that I want to do. So please help me, Lord. Help me to understand. Help me to be patient with myself. Help me, help me to be compassionate and curious. Lord, just tell me why. And I'll change. Just tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do. I'm a rule follower. I'm a good rule follower. Just tell me what to do. He doesn't want to do that. He wants you to learn the way of love, the way of compassion, the way of mercy. It's a school of love. This path, this journey, it's a school of love. I know I'm a much better Christian, a much better man, a much better priest today than I was 10 years ago, than I was five years ago, than I was two years ago, because I continue to walk along this path and he continues to teach me new things about himself and about myself. And I've asked him these questions for a long time. And I have learned patience. <laughs> In the crucible of suffering, yes. It's the only way you can really become patient. Right? In the crucible of suffering. 
the only way you can truly become patient, the only way you can really grow in this kind of love, go through it. There's no way around it. How beautiful his insights without distortion. Without distortion. You heard me say this earlier, but it is a prayer I've prayed a lot. Lord, please restore and perfect the distorted image that I have of you and of myself. Lord, please restore and perfect the distorted image that I have of you and of myself. It's a good prayer to pray. Because how beautiful his insights, his vision, without distortion. His eyes rest upon the fullness of the river of revelation, flowing so clean and pure. Looking at his gentle face, there it is, his gentle face, I see such fullness of emotion like a lovely garden where fragrant spices grow. What a man! No one speaks words so anointed as this one. Words that both pierce and heal. So true. So true. Words that both pierce and heal. Words like lilies dripping with myrrh. Well, now we know where myrrh comes from, the blood of the tree. See how his hands hold unlimited power, but he never uses it in anger or impatience. He never uses it in anger for he is always holy, displaying his glory. His innermost place is a work of art, so beautiful and bright. How magnificent and noble is this one, covered in majesty. He's steadfast in all he does, unchanging. <laughs> unchanging. His ways are the ways of righteousness, based on truth and holiness. None can rival him. But all will be amazed by him. Most sweet are his kisses, even his whispers of love. He is delightful in every way and perfect from every viewpoint. If you ask me why I love him so, O brides-to-be, it's because there is none like him to me. Everything about him fills me with holy desire. And now he is my beloved, my friend forever. So we naturally protest <laughs> these advances by God in this stage. We naturally protest these suggestions, these invitations, these advances of the Lord. 
But he knows. He knows what we're made of. He knows what we're called to be. He, he sees the great potential in all of you because he put it there. He made you with all of this great potential that he himself is the author of. All right, we landed right on time.